Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my colleague, Madhu Unikrishnan. Today, we discuss Cathay Pacific's tough spot, IATA's 2021 traffic numbers, and what we've learned from earnings so far. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey, Madhu, how are you doing today? Good, Ned. How are you? Yeah, doing well. Just uh, paying attention to that nor'easter that's heading up the coast. Hopefully our listeners in New England are batting down the hatches. If you're listening to this end of the week, you've got some snow coming your way. Yeah, well, winter is coming, but winter is here, Ned, for Cathay Pacific. Winter is very much here for Cathay Pacific. You know, they are, are one of the airlines that's probably struggled the most during the crisis. You know, they went in fairly robust. I mean, they had their competitive pressures, but the Hong Kong government um, has been very restrictive on travel, and with no domestic market, Cathay has really been hit by a lot of th- a lot of uh, forces that is really really working against it. Yeah, let's put a pin on it on that one thing you said there, and that is the Cathay Pacific has no domestic market. Now there are other airlines like Singapore Airlines, Emirates, Etihad that really don't have. A cutter that don't really have domestic markets to speak of as well, but they very, I mean, the cases vary from, from airline to airline, but they benefit from government largesse and um, less restrictive travel policies. I mean, the, the Gulf carriers have sort of sprung back and you shadow their former selves, but, and we don't really need this, how they're financed is a topic for a separate podcast. Um, Singapore is, is, you know, emerging from its shadows, had a lot of government help, but the case was different with Cathay, right, Ned? Absolutely. You know, they did receive a, a small amount of government help, and I don't know the numbers, but it pales in comparison to what the likes of Singapore uh, Emirates received. And the Hong Kong government really has acted as if it's if it's almost out against Cathay. They had a situation where two of their crew members were found to have violated quarantine rules on a trip recently and brought back the Omicron variant to Hong Kong. And the government is investigating Cathay for that, which is just, in my mind, shocking. You would hold a company responsible for the actions of two crew members. Um, you know, it's it's I, I realize there are different views on company responsibility in many places of the world, but... It's still, you know, the government really is is cracking down on Cathay for some of the mistakes of its crew members. Right. And and those crew members are operating under some of the most draconian um, quarantine policies in the industry. I mean, they have to they work these, what, four week long shifts, yeah, I believe. And they're called closed loops where right. they don't interact with the rest of Hong Kong society. They can't leave. Uh, they can't leave their uh, uh, layover hotels. I don't know exactly but it's. It sounds really terrible. Well, and, it is. And I've read everywhere that, that they're having a brain drain of crews that are leaving Cafe as a result. Right. And, you know, the One World Pilots Association just to come, just at the end of last year um, started a campaign to support Cathay Pacific's pilots because they're often in these hotels. The pilots, uh, the sort of pilot, it's a coalition of unions across the One World Network. Um were doing things like buying mini fridges for the pilots and hot plates because they were stuck in these sort of barracks without basic amenities. And that really kind of drew a spotlight to the suffering of the crews and or the not suffering, the the conditions the crews are operating under. So you layer that into not having a domestic market. It makes for a really difficult operating environment. 
It really does. And so that's what stuck out. Uh, Cathay on Monday gave us an update for, you know, for, you know, 2021, they're going to, they're losing money, which was not a surprise. They shrank their loss to about 6 billion Hong Kong from 20 billion the year before. So that's good. But what jumped out to me is they were uh, cash, marginally cash positive in the second half of 2021. But due to the new restrictions in Hong Kong, both quarantine and travel restrictions, they are going to be, uh, you know, cash burn, which we thought is, I thought was a term that I would not have to think of again for <laughs> at least for until the next crisis is uh, is back and they're going to be burning cash again in, in at least the first quarter of 2022. Well, one thing that jumped out at me when I read that was that they, their passenger traffic is 95% lower than it was in 2019. And I mean, cargo is, has has helped offset that, right, Ned? I mean, I think you reported somewhat, on cargo but cargo is still down. They're still limited by these restrictions and the, the the crew restrictions that they're having on their cargo operations. So they unfortunately don't have the benefit of like Korean Air, which has been able to, you know, they operate to many of the same places, have travel restrictions too, but their cargo operations have been a boon for the airline, and they've been able to to turn profits during this crisis. Whereas Cathay has not been able to to leverage their cargo really for that. And, and, you know, another factor into in all of this is just sort of the evolving role of Hong Kong, which, you know, we're not, this isn't a topic, this isn't a podcast about uh, geopolitics, but I mean, it, it's an international industry and it can't be ignored. I mean, the, the, the role of Hong Kong within greater China has changed since, um, since the handover in 97. Very much so. We, the, the Hong Kong government is very pro-Beijing. And the Chinese government's been cracking down more recently. So it's definitely, I, I think what what's, I know jumped out to me is, is Hong Kong, of course, it's a, it's a fantastic airport, big connecting point in Asia. And the Hong Kong has barred all transit passengers except those to and from mainland China and Taiwan um, yeah. through at least the mid-February, which is just boggles my mind. But it shows the, the um, Hong Kong is leaning to, you know, being pushed or dragged uh, to become, a, I think, a, like you said, told me recently, a you know another second tier Chinese city rather than the global, the you know Asia's world city as it long was known. Yeah, well, I mean there there are some startling numbers when you think of it. I mean at the handover in 1997, China, um, Hong Kong's economy was one fifth the size of China's. Now think about that for a second. I mean Hong Kong is a city of what like 10, 15 million people, and China at it the was time 8 had a million when I was there. Right. Yeah, okay. So okay. around ten million people. China at the time had a population of more than a billion, and Hong Kong's economy was 20 percent, one fifth the size. Now it's down to I think the low single digits, like two three percent. So that just shows China's immense growth and the sort of declining importance of, of Hong Kong to greater China. Now, I don't want to say declining importance, but sort of the declining or it, it, the trends are, are, as you said, pushing Hong Kong towards uh, becoming part of a, a, big, a more integrated part of China. And that's shown in like in the quarantine restrictions, Cathay Pacific's dismal performance and um, the fact that it's not a connecting hub. It's a uh, be interesting to see how this plays out. I just, I personally, I mean, this is me, Madhu, just speculating a little bit. Like, how, how does an airline continue with no domestic market continue to function with 95% fewer passengers than it did, had a f- couple of years ago? That's the question I think we're all fate, we all have is without significant state support, you know, what is the future for Cafe Pacific? And I don't claim to have the answer, though. It's interesting. Willie Walsh, the uh, director general of IATA, 
uh, said uh, today, when, uh, Tuesday, said this morning that, you know, we all have to have sympathy for, for Cathay um, due to the situation that they're in. You know, he didn't elaborate on that, but, you know, that's telling when the, uh, the head of IATA, the largest airline trade group, is saying we should have sympathy for Cathay. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Now you brought up Willie Walsh. We yeah. got to talk about IATA. <laughs> now, right. you listened to their media briefing this morning, right? I did. I did. So IATA provided their 2021 numbers for, uh, you know, traffic. It's not their outlook for full outlook for 2022 yet. And it's, you know, they still don't have all of the financial data for 2021. But traffic wise, it was a solid year for cargo. Cargo grew 7% compared to 2019. So definitely the biggest source of growth and opportunity for airlines during the new year. I don't think that surprises any of us, especially you, Madhu. <laughs> Whereas on the passenger side, passenger traffic was recovered to 42% of 2019 levels. Now it's globally, it's very, you know, domestic markets, domestic passenger traffic recovered a lot more. I don't know the numbers in front of me, but I believe it was in the 70% range. Uh, international traffic uh, was, was much lower. It was in the 30s to 40s. So it's, you know, domestic still leads, but cargo was the big winner in 20, was the big winner in 2021. Well, I, and what did, what was the number you cited for Asia Pacific? Is it 7%? Passenger traffic is back to 7% in Asia Pacific. And that was, it, you know, while global passenger traffic is still down a lot internationally, I mean, Asia was the outlier. You have most of the world in that 30 to 40% band, and then Asia is down there. And Walsh said it's the restrictions like those in Hong Kong that are really impacting that. You know, China remains all but shut off from the rest of the world. And that used to be a massive market for a lot of airlines, Finnair, United, uh, you know, Singapore Airlines, I mean, everyone flew, everyone was, you know, remember it wasn't so long ago when we were writing about, you know, everyone, you know, leaping for a new China frequency out of mm -hmm. the U.S. And now, you know, airlines can barely fly once a week. Um, so, yeah, Asia is really down. Uh, it's, uh, you know, of course, those numbers don't really, you know, Singapore at the end of the year was opening up their vaccinated tra VTL, vaccinated travel right. lanes. Australia started opening at the end of the year. So, you know, that will certainly help the 2022 numbers, but you know, IATA, I think, like everyone else, doesn't expect so, you know, the Asia recovery is going to be well behind the rest of the world. Yeah, and car uh, that you know, you mentioned earlier, cargo. I mean, cargo is just—it really is this pandemic bright spot. I mean, <clears throat> Airbus has made a couple of really interesting moves recently. Now we've talked about the A three fifty F and how that will enter into service in twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six allowing Airbus to play a little bit of catch up to Boeing in um, the freighter space. But also today uh, we find out that Airbus is starting a whole new airline, <laughs> Beluga Air Transport. <laughs> um, oh, so, well, I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll have its own air operator certificate. Airbus has five Beluga STs. So the current generation of Belugas. They, and for those of you who don't know, they're the kind of bulbous, weird-looking aircraft that Airbus uses to transport fuselage sections around its various factories. So those five... I'll cut in here. I'm going to... Uh, if you go to airlineweekly.com when you're listening to this, we will put a photo of uh, the Beluga with the podcast. So it's airlineweekly.com. Check it out. So these, so these five STs um, are being replaced by six Beluga XLs, and when they're replaced... Airbus start renting out these STs in to take advantage of the global cargo boom. So yeah, the, you know, it's no surprise. Like cargo has been the story throughout the pandemic of the strength of cargo. We're all shopping online more, but now, you know, Airbus is starting a new airline. <laughs> I mean, that just adds to the year, you know, Airbus launching the A350F, which you talked about 
I mentioned Kareener's profits. I don't think anyone was surprised that cargo was a strength point in 2021. I, I think about the list of airlines that is, are getting into the cargo business from Air Canada to, was it WestJet got, is, is getting yep. into it? Lufthansa, well, Lufthansa already. Mesa. I mean, Mesa, it's just, the list goes on. These airlines, United Airlines isn't necessarily getting into cargo, but their cargo revenue was up double digits compared to 2019. You know, it's uh, it's really, really, it's a fascinating shift, but it, it looks like it's here. To, I mean, well, I don't want to say it looks like people are betting it's here to stay. That's for sure. Yeah, well, part of it, I mean, part of it, will, there has definitely been a structural shift in retail behavior. I, I mean, I know just anecdotally, personally, I, I buy kitchen, <laughs> you know, paper towels online rather than walking the 200 yards to the, <laughs> to the store to get, get it. But um, I mean, there's a structural shift in retail. That's going to, that's, so package delivery is here to stay, but at least in the short term, maritime shipping remains snarled. Um, there are port closures all over the world. There's port backups in the West Coast of the U.S. and a lot of Europe. So, uh, you know, and airline- that the Omicron variant that hit airline operations yep. is also hitting staffing at ports. We have, you know, it, it's really going, you know, that's rippling through the economy in all kinds of places. So it's it, the yeah, supply chain is not getting any better just yet, at least. Right. And you layer that in with all of us shopping online more, and it's kind of a boom time for air cargo. 100%. All right, let's take a break, Madhu. And we're back. So, Madhu, you got a chance to listen to United Airlines earnings last week. You know, what, what was, what's your takeaway, Ben, from the earnings that we've, we've had a chance to, to listen to so far? Well, Ned, United was very, very interesting to me because back in October, if you remember, uh, the airline put out some guidance saying that in 2022, it would fly more capacity than it did in 2019. And part, part of this is aircraft deliveries, but part of it was, you know, Scott Kirby, the CEO, has been very bullish about United's prospects going forward. And so... They were very excited to announce that they would fly more. Um, then Omicron came. And in the latest earnings um, just last week, United said it was revising downwards that guidance and will now fly less capacity than it planned to, than it did in 2019. Now, they haven't said how much less capacity. They're going to update the investor community in the next few months as, as more clarity emerges on, on how much, how demand has suffered. But that's a startling reversal for an airline that was very excited about uh, flying more capacity than it used to. Absolutely. And let's not forget, you know, United's also being hit by the, the regional pilot shortage in the U.S. And that's also putting a crimp on capacity. During that same call, they said they don't expect that to rectify itself in 2022. So, you know, there's also cuts there. So it sounds like there's a lot of pressure on United to, to revise down capacity. Um, you know, though potentially the flip side is that could mean fares could go up if, uh, that's true. if demand is there. That's true. And and as you know, United, as, as we all know, has the largest exposure to Asia of any of the big three um, U.S. global carriers. So with what we were talking about earlier, with Asia just being 7% uh, of its tra- of its pre-pandemic traffic, I mean, it, it, things are kind of stacked against uh, stacked against United. I believe I read one an analyst report, and I can't remember who wrote it, that, uh, you know, at least in the near term through this year, United probably has the biggest downside of the three global carriers. I mean, just I think this is sort of a theme that we've talked about, Ned, throughout this pandemic, and that's that the goalposts keep moving. Absolutely. 
every time there seems the recovery just seems to be around the corner, there's some new spanner thrown in the works and, uh, and you have to move the goalposts a little further out. So I, I think, uh, that was what happened with United last week. Now you, you covered American. What was the story there? You know, it was a similar story. They revised down their capacity outlook for the year, citing Omicron, but they hadn't guided specifically to being larger. They said they were going to be around 2019 levels, and now they're going to be down, I want to say, 5 to 7%. Uh, don't quote me on that. But, you know, it was very similar. Omicron hit January and February. They're still very bullish on the summer, though. American has a larger exposure to the domestic market, U.S. domestic markets. So, you know, they have a good reason to be optimistic because domestic, uh, by all you know accounts, is likely to be gangbusters next summer. You know, United, of course, is going to benefit from that. But Americans just a larger domestic carrier and has the potential to pick up a lot more of that. Right. And also American. Um, did American say anything about its mid-continent hubs, Ned? They did not. They uh, no. Did United say anything about their mid-continent hubs? Well, actually, yes. Uh, Kirby was asked about that. He said that uh, they're still very bullish on Denver and and, um, and Houston as hubs and see immense growth potential for Denver. Now, um, I I'm just I'm just curious, really, about uh, about Asia. Now, Now, let's 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 kind of knit it all together. Now, the three net big global carriers in the U.S. have reported. That's Delta, American, and United. What, what sort of through line emerges for you from the three, Ned? The through line I see is Omicron is a passing passing uh, sort of, I want to say fad. That sounds uh, like, you know, pogs. Or, no, let's not or, say fad. <laughs> <laughs> a passing blip uh, on yeah. the recovery that's going to be done as February passes. You know, um, but everyone seems pretty firm on their their outlook for the year. And that is that, you know, demand is going to be robust this summer. You know, people are only delaying trips. They're not necessarily, you know, canceling altogether. And, you know, domestic is going to be gangbusters. As a lot of people still want to go to Europe this summer. Um, it's still pretty optimistic, uh, if you ask me. And what about uh, the pilot shortage through line? Well, that is an issue. There's differing views on what that, you know, what, how that, you know, what the, how long that's going to take to rectify. Like I said, United doesn't expect it to rectify itself throughout 2022. Delta says in the first half. American really didn't say exactly when, though they've only pulled flights in the spring to mitigate it. You know, it, my my gut is that it's going to take longer to rectify it. I've spoken to some sources at a couple of the airlines, and they said it's a big concern internally. So, you know, people are very concerned about this, especially when it comes to capacity recovery, let alone growth. And, you know, there's simply, it's a numbers game. You know, there's, you, know, you can't make a new pilot quickly, as we discussed last week. So, you know, if there's a shortage, there's a shortage. And either you just cut flights and, you know, until you get down, you know, equilibrium or you find those pilots elsewhere. And, and it's so it's going to be an interesting, interesting game. And it's going to, you know, definitely, I think, be a limiter for the yeah. year. Now, More I mean, so than it's being presented as right now. Right. And United was um, was pretty bullish about its uh, or confident and excited about the Aviate Academy, its pilot training program. However, acknowledged that, uh, you know, you don't create a pilot by snapping your fingers, right? Like a pilot right. takes several years to train and to amass enough hours to operate a commercial aircraft. So it's a long, long-term play. Uh, the short-term, just as you've reported extensively, looks a little little less uh, less positive for the airlines. Absolutely. So now, as we go in, 
to later this week. We've got uh, Southwest, Alaska, JetBlue, and Wizz Air are all going to go. I know I'm looking forward to getting the view from Europe, uh, from Wizz Air, at least one of the first views. And Wizz Air is always pretty bullish. Uh, you know, they have big growth prospects in Europe, so I expect those um, have those remained, though we'll see if they've been delayed. But yeah, I'm really interested, in, uh, I mean, I think you are too, about Southwest and what yes. they say, because they, they are, you know, arguably the second largest domestic airline in the U.S., essentially, after American. And with little international exposure, you know, the way the U.S. goes is the way Southwest goes. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what they have to say. Yeah, I'll be. I'm, what I'm planning to listen for is how they're adding depth back to their schedule. Their last earnings call, um, CEO Gary Kelly acknowledged that you know Southwest has the has its network and has increased its network. Right, I mean by 18 cities or so, um, but has reduced its schedule depth dramatically and was going to focus this year on adding back its schedule depth. That's really hard to say. So um, we'll be adding back its schedule depth. Now, depth. Now, I mean, that's also constrained by aircraft availability and pilot and availability. Their own staffing issues, you know, not yeah. just pilots. I mean, it's, it's frontline workers, it's baggage handlers. So, you know, they have their own uh, staffing challenges as they look to add back this depth. Yeah, exactly, Ned. I mean, it's going to be interesting. To, I want to hear what they're expecting for this, this at least this quarter and the first half of the year in terms of adding back depth. So, and let's not forget, Ned, in that list of um, earnings that we're covering, Boeing reports as well. Ah, oh, that's right, Boeing. We can find out the latest on. Uh, there are many challenges, though. It's uh, yeah, it's it, that'll be interesting. What are you looking for with Boeing? Uh, well, I'm looking forward to any clarity on the seven eight seven. And whether, you know, whether those aircraft will be delivered this year. Um, although American thinks in, I April. believe, yeah, American thinks by April, right? Um, now, whether FAA hasn't really said anything, so whether that'll happen this on, as planned. Uh, be listening to anything about the 777X program and the, the 737-10 program all of which are sort of held up in regulatory limbo right now. So Don't forget the 737-7 program. Too, and the so. Dash 7 program, right. And that that is a big problem for Southwest, just to tie it back to Southwest, because South, that aircraft was arguably designed for Southwest. Right, and there are plans to fill back that scheduled depth. requires a lot of, I mean, they have deliveries, I want to say 60-plus planes due in 2022. I uh, believe that's right, yeah. Many are Dash 7, so... You know they need that plane to to start arriving in order to you know meet their goal of, of you know adding the back that depth that you, you you told us about. Yeah, yeah, and and the other thing I'll be listening for is we talk a lot about airlines and how Omicron has affected staffing, but it's also hit the suppliers as well, right? And the supply chain. It's like people are calling in sick; they can't operate machinery, they can't put together aircraft. So it'll be. Um, It'll be a very interesting next few days, and we will be sure to talk about it on our next podcast. Absolutely. Madhu, it's always a pleasure. If you need to reach Madhu, you can reach him at mu at skift.com. If you need to reach myself, Ned, you can reach me at er at skift.com. Thank you so much for listening this week, and have a very have a good one. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge Podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.